Hi, my name is Janet, and um, I'm from San Francisco, where I worked at part of three startups. One of the startups went public. One was acquired by eBay PayPal back when they were together as a company. And the third one crashed and burned hard. So the full range of spectrum, uh, full range of experiences. But I've been now in Europe for the last two years, and I've been working with really big companies. And they often come to me and they say, Janet, we want to be like a speedboat. We want to be like a startup. We want to be fast and nimble and be able to turn on a dime. And I tell them, I'm like, well, that's great. But actually today, you're probably a little bit more like a container ship. And don't get me wrong, container ships are awesome too. Back when I was in San Francisco and working for that startup that was crashing and burning, it's a very stressful experience. I would often take my lunch out by the Golden Gate Bridge and just watch the container ships coming in from China. And those things are huge. If you want to move at scale, if you want to go for a long haul distance, you want a container ship. But I think the problem comes is when people try to mix these two worlds, we end up getting something that looks a lot more like this than anything that's actually productive. We just weigh down the speedboats with a lot of big corporate processes. What we want, however, on the other hand, is something more like this. We want the two worlds to work together well. So when I first started working with the big companies, they said, okay, well, you make us like a speedboat. I said, okay, so I just kind of took what we did in Silicon Valley and cut paste into a big company. And that didn't work so well. So over the time, we kind of developed a model uh, that we call the circle, circle, square model. I know Steve Jobs is probably rolling over in his grave right now with uh, branding like that. But the way it works is we have in the inner circle is the innovator. And these are the people that are moving fast doing our lean startup. Right? Uh, and we also, though, have a square above them of executives. And these are people who are actually far enough away from the day-to-day -day business that they can see out far. And they, they get it sometimes. They're like, you know what, we need to innovate. We need to disrupt ourselves. We need to cut costs and move fast. Right? There's also a third group, and I'm going to call them the internal ecosystem. And these are people like HR, finance, legal, procurement, sales, marketing. And the entrepreneurs are kind of embedded in this environment where they interface and work with these people all the time. And I found that you have to kind of work in all three levels to be able to get that speedboat going fast in a big company. So I'll start with the innovators. Um, and we all know uh, Lean Startup basically was come about because our first idea is not always a good idea, right? And I'm not going to go into the details of pivoting and experimentation. We've had a lot of really great speakers talk about that. What I am going to talk about, though, is that research has shown that 23% of startups that fail, fail because they say they have the wrong team. And I'm going to argue the same holds true in big companies. So the question comes in, what makes a good team? Well, the first thing is it's got to be a dedicated team. One of the first projects I worked on, here's how big the team was when we started, because it was a sexy new innovation initiative that everyone wanted to be a part of. And by the end, we were down to here. We had to kick off all the people who just kind of wanted to show up and put the FaceTime and get a core working team that was dedicated. At Jeff Bezos, he says, if you can't feed a team with two pizzas, it's too large. Right? And when I say that, by the way, we're not talking an American-style pizza. <laughs> I'm asking you to be European on this one. Okay? <laughs> the other thing we need to have is some diversity in the team. 
And I look at the diversity among skill set, mindset, and tool set. So for skill set, I used to say that what we'd want is a hacker, a hustler, and a hipster. Someone who can like program and put stuff together, a business person, and someone with some design skills. After working with a couple of teams that were really idea-focused teams uh, that could sit around and talk about all the cool experiments they could do all day long but actually not get any traction, I've added in a fourth one, which I would say is the handler. And that's the project owner or the project manager, the one, the operations manager, the one that's really going to push to make sure things happen. As far as the mindset goes, I think it's actually 80% of the mindset you need is ownership. And you know who these people are in your company, right? You know who, if you, who you can give a project to and they'll run with it and who needs their handhold. We need the people who can run with and own a project and act like a founder and treat it like their own thing. The other 20% is a never give up attitude. We're kind of laying down a new way of working in the organization. So we're getting new tracks. And so they're going to run into, by definition, they're going to run into resistance. And so we need people who can hang in there. So if I look at the executive level, I think it's quite simple what the executives need to do. And the executives is not make the decisions on what product to launch. I think they need to set the vision and create an environment. So let me look at each one of these briefly. The first part of setting the vision is talking about strategic alignment. We need to have all oars rowing in the same direction. Uh, and so they need to set up a goal of which direction we're going to go. I had one team that went through an innovation challenge, and they had this great idea that was going to work well for small entrepreneurs in Africa. And they came into like a whole acceleration program. They pivoted. They were a great team, right? And then they went back to their company, and I didn't see them for about a year. And finally, I ran into them, and I said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, we quit. And I'm like, what, why? Well, it turns out they're working in a company that the vast majority of the business was focused on Europe. And really, they didn't even have any business in Africa. So there was no corporate sponsorship, no direction for the company behind it, and they just never could get that, that traction in the organization. So you have to be your innovation projects kind of in line with where you want the company to go. The next is portfolio management. And we've had some speakers today talk about this, right? Because we don't just want to have one speedboat out there. We want a fleet of speedboats, right? And I know some people have been talking about this three horizons, right, where our horizon one is, you know, our mature business, which is going to be developing our cash flow for the next 12 months. Horizon two is maybe some adjacent or rapidly growing business. It's our 12 to 36 months out. And horizon three is more of our moonshots. Right? And so we want to spread our speedboats across all these horizons, but probably not equally like this, right? And there was actually a very interesting paper that came out in HBR in 2012 where they looked into this. And they found there's a line that said companies that did a 70-20-10, 70% in core, 20 in adjacent, and 10 out in transformational, had 10 to 20% greater um, PE premiums. And they even also found out that they actually got most of their profits from doing those H3 innovations, 70% of the long-term cumulative return on innovation investment. So it's no surprise that Google has announced that they kind of are going for a 70-20-10 split along these three horizons. But some companies these days are saying, you know what, things are moving so fast, that's not enough. So Intuit, a software company in San Francisco, says we're going to go 60-30-10. So as a senior executive, you've kind of got to decide, 
how, where am I going to place my speedboats, right? That's a decision they have to make when they set the vision. The other thing they need to do is to create an environment. And this is where the term we hear, the safe sandbox for innovation. If you're going to be punished for failing, like no one's going to take a risk. They also need to provide some protection. Um, you know, I had one initiative I was working on, because when you're doing lean startup and you're new in an organization, like you're breaking all the rules. And so I'm there trying to push and break rules. And you know, it's fine to break rules if you could say like, listen, I'm in charge of a business unit that's got 100 million in revenue or 50 million or whatever would be a big for thing for your company. But I'm there saying I'm trying to break all the rules and I'm backed by zero dollar revenue, right? That's not a very tenable situation unless someone high up says, you know what, we're doing this. And so you need that coverage from high up. Finally, we need a willingness to invest time, money, and resources before having results. So does anybody know how long it takes corporate ventures on average to become profitable? Any thoughts? I'll tell you, seven years. And what percentage of those ventures actually had a positive cash flow in the first two years? Zero. And in fact, their first year revenue projections were off by 80%, and their first year profitability projections are off by 116%, which lets me you know you probably should be doing some innovation accounting, which is a subject of a whole nother talk that we could spend hours on. Um, but that's kind of what the executives need to be thinking about. So the final circle is the internal ecosystem. And these are, again, HR, finance, procurement, legal, market, all these people, right? And it's a very different culture from what we have in here and how we think lean startups should work, right? So, you know, for a speedboat, they'll be like, my first five ideas failed, right? Uh, you know, a container ship might be like, no bonus for you, right? And that's, by the way, if you're going to create a safe sandbox and then penalize people when it comes to bonus time because you had a failed initiative, that's not a safe sandbox. You know, a startup might say, like, hey, can we have some money and go to finance? Who's going to ask you, you know, what's your ROI, right? We made it up. That's not going to work with finance. You know, Speedmode might be all excited. I just came up with a totally brand new product. You know, brand and marketing might be like, does that meet our brand guidelines? You know, the Speedmode is like, this new product's going to be huge. You know, well, is that in my three-year plan? Right? Or I made up an unbranded fake door experiment and be like, whoa, that's not approved. Or I talked with lots of customers and sales might be like, whoa, who gave you permission to talk to them? Right? And I don't mean to you know, be tough on the, the internal ecosystem, all these people, because they're doing their jobs and they're doing it as the company needs to do them. And if we want them to be more innovative, it's on us to bring them in. Because we have our own little innovation culture going on here. And so it's up to us to reach out to them. So when I first started doing this, I just kind of ignored the ecosystem and said, great, I'm going to do my you know, fake sales and all this sort of thing. Uh, and I was doing that. And then you know, a couple weeks later, legal got wind of this. And so they called me down to their office, which by the way, that's never a good situation to be behind the eight ball like this. And so I'm there with legal talking with them. And I'm like, well, we're planning on doing, I'm trying to explain what I'm doing. I'm like, we're trying to do four rounds of experiments. In the fourth round, we're actually going to sell 500 units. And the woman from legal was like, oh, you mean 500,000? At which point, there was a very awkward pause in the conversation, right? Because from her perspective, like 500 is a rounding error. This is a billion-dollar corporation, right? In my perspective, 500 is a huge experiment test, right? And so we have to bridge that gap. 
And I find that there's a couple ways to do it. Like one, now in the first, when I start working with a company, one of the first things I do is I say, can I go meet with legal? And we've come up with some guidelines that cover like, here are the run of the mill experiments that we might be doing, right? Uh, and what are the ramifications of them? And then, you know, we say yes, no, and only with, you know, supervision can they do that. And the teams much prefer this. Like, would you rather know where the guardrails are or just, you know, operate in a gray area and hope that no one yells at you? And so the teams much prefer this. But I think even more importantly is you have to win over their hearts and minds. So what we do is we run kind of a week-long innovation masterclass. It's kind of like a third innovators and two-thirds from this ecosystem. And, you know, they come in on Monday and they think of a great idea that they think their company needs to, you know, implement. And by Monday afternoon, they're doing customer interviews. By Wednesday, they're doing experiments. And by Friday, they have a mini demo day. Um, and so I remember there was one that I was working, working at. And uh, one of the guys, he was from sales. And he said, Janet, can I ask the group a question? I was like, okay. And he had come in on Monday with an idea they thought was going to be huge, right? He thought it was great. And Monday afternoon, he went and talked to some customers and found out, Nobody cared, right? So he's there pivoting and working on it. And so he asked the group, who else here is pivoting on their ideas? And he looked out among his, you know, 30 to 40 really smart colleagues, and every single hand in the room went up. And you could feel it sink into a lower, to like a deeper level. Because you can say your first idea is not always a good idea, but you know what people hear when you say this. Like I can even give you data and statistics, right? But what they hear is your first idea is not always a good idea, but my idea is awesome. And I have to engineer an experience for them where they can be like, oh, I get it now at a deeper level because I want to win their hearts and minds. So I found for me working in a company, it helps for me to think of those three levels, the executive, the innovator, and kind of the ecosystem to get them working together to do lean startup. Thank you very much and have a great afternoon.